0: Let me just pray once again. Lord, I pray that you would um, oversee in this wonderful privilege and opportunity to spread the seeds of your word. I pray that they might land on soil that will be good soil, soil that will bring forth a hundredfold fruit. And I pray, Lord, it wouldn't just be a message aimed at one small segment of those of us gathered here, but all of us like would find insight and understanding from these thoughts and reflections on your word. We thank you that your word is true and that it is living, it is active, and it indeed is the word of life. We pray that you might bring life to all of us as we study it and think about it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Each generation of Christians are like those who participate in a a relay race. And as runners in a relay race, we are entrusted with this baton. Have you ever seen that where you have the runners who go around the track and there's one person on the first leg of the run and he's got this little baton and he's going all the way around, he's got it in his hands. And so it's very critical as he finishes going around once, that there's this important process by which he is handing off the baton to the next member of that team who is standing in front of him and so the guy is first runner still running he's got the baton and he's running and trying to in such a way that the guy in front of him starts running and they're running about the same speed and then he hands it forward to the guy in front of him the guy in front of him has got his hand backward like this He's looking for it, he grabs it, and then he takes off and he runs the next lap. And so that's the way a Relay Waste works. And we as Christians in this generation have been given, as it were, a baton of the gospel, the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have received the faith that's now been handed down to us as Christians And part of the privilege and joy and blessing of our generation is that we are called upon to hand that baton off to the next generation so that they might take hold of the gospel, that they might follow Christ, that they might serve him and honor him the days of their life. And of course, that's a challenge to hand that off correctly and adequately. And there have been, of course concerns about the next generation you think about it that generation obviously is much different than my generation and uh and and we know that this has always been a concern for the christian faith they've always been thinking about those who are coming later after us will they take that baton the gospel and run with it that's why paul and he wrote pastor timothy he said to him in second timothy chapter two he said the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses I want you to entrust these to faithful men, and they will be able to teach others also. Do you hear how that's talking about the handing off of the baton from one to the next to the next? The same concern is found with Moses. When Moses is thinking about the end of his generation, he's getting ready to go into the promised land. And so his, he's fairly old, and he has seen this new generation come up during his lifetime. And he says to them as they get ready to go into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and shall be, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. What's he saying? He's saying be sure to make sure that they understand the commands and truths of God just like you have been taught them that they might know and follow God as well. And we find the same concern about handing the baton off to the next generation with wisdom and truth to the next generation. Sorry, uh, in Proverbs, and I'd like to just show you Proverbs chapter seven, for example, verses one and two. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. Now I don't want some of you saying, "Oh, well, this is just a father talking to a son," so I'm not going to listen to half what he's got to say here because that doesn't apply to me. Let me just clarify and say that Proverbs is not just limited to the father-son relationship. What we have in this book, it's, it's viewed probably best as a teaching manual. Think of it as someone who's trying to instruct someone else on learning the truth applied to life. It's not just merely good advice in the book of Proverbs, although it is good advice here, but it's the wisdom from God. God giving his people wisdom for his covenant people on how they are to conduct their lives and how to relate to other people and how to live out a relationship with God in the context of the people that we know every day. And so in your notes, in the introduction here, we want to just say that Proverbs are portable truth. Truth is designed to be easily remembered, something we can get our hands on, something we can take with us because it's so short and succinct. And they are also practical, practical generalizations that can be applied to all sorts of situations. So I want to focus our attention this morning to this short section of Proverbs. I really want to focus actually on the first seven verses of chapter 20. And I want us to consider how the gospel that we are confessing, the the gospel that we affirm together, that it's to be lived out and ultimately it is to be making an impact on the generation to come. And so I want you to think these principles that we're talking about this morning are not merely for fathers, although I hope fathers will be listening because this is helpful for all of us to hear. But every follower of Christ has a runner in front of us who's waiting to receive the baton that we are carrying. As a matter of fact, I would dare say that there are many in the generation to come They are longing for leaders. They're longing for mentors, parents, teachers, disciples of Christ whose lives are gospel-centered and who are characterized by godly living. That's one of the greatest ways we can bless the next generation if they can find people like that in us to make an impact on them before it's too late. So I want to consider several Principles, two of them, uh, point one and point two. The first point is this. In this text of chapter 20, verses one to seven, there are commendable character traits of wise people who bless the next generation. Now, I sort of see this in this text. Uh, Verse seven is the key verse I want to focus on. Uh, Verse seven says, A righteous man or a righteous person who walks in his or her integrity... How blessed are his or her sons after him or her? In other words, it could go either way. Those who come after us are blessed if our lives have been lived with a person whose life is characterized by integrity. And so, a righteous person is a person who fears the Lord, a person who has a deep respect for God. And that respect for God motivates them to want to avoid evil, to avoid ways in which they might offend God. And when you think about this word integrity in verse 7, it means a person who has a sincerity of heart, sincerity of intention. There's a truthfulness about them, there's a sense of being upright, a person who is genuine. They're not fake and phony. A person of integrity is the same in public as they are in private. And as I've been thinking about this, I have become quite burdened because I am more and more aware of how we as a civilization, a society, people who relate now through the Internet and through social media, when we talk about integrity, you see the opposite of integrity is a person who presents themselves one way on the Internet, one way online but they're actually another way in reality. That's a real problem today's world. As a matter of fact, there's a television show uh, called Catfish uh, on MTV that, that is all about people who are in an online relationship. They've never met this person in per, uh, directly, but they just know them by, through the interaction on, on their computer, and you come to find out the person that they think they're relating to is not the person that they portray themselves to be. And so when we talk about integrity, we're not not talking about the people who are going onto their computer and then they attempt to erase all their history on their computer so they don't want anybody to know where they've gone and what they've been looking at because they're trying to hide what they really are craving, what they really are looking for, what they really are enjoying. No, we're talking about a person who is characterized by integrity. It's a person who's following God's ways in our business dealings, in our honesty in the classroom that we're not cheating, we're not trying to somehow borrow somebody else's answers to, to come up with the, the, a test grade that we think would make ourselves look better. And we're also people who are following God's ways in how we deal with our family and the people around us. Imagine being a person, a person of your word, to actually be a person that follows through. If you say you're going to promise to do something, you do it. What a blessing to be around someone like that, isn't it? It surely is. Do you know that God says that integrity is more important than making much money and owning much property? You say, well, I don't know. That's a pretty bold statement. Well, Proverbs 19, verse 1. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. So having a a life of integrity is a huge, huge blessing. Several years ago, uh, my father uh, died uh, in 2005. And uh, then when my mother died um, just a year ago, we had to go and clean out uh, all of the remaining items uh, that my mother had in her apartment there. And so as we're going through, we're sorting through all sorts of photographs and uh, among the different members of the family. And so I uh, came across a photograph I don't ever remember seeing before Uh, and the photograph was a good good old black and white photograph when I was about six or seven years of age. I'm standing on the front porch of the home I grew up in, and I'm standing beside my father, just the two of us, and I'm holding his hand. And uh, I love that photograph. I told my wife, and she was uh, kind enough to uh, blow it up, and she framed it, and she put Proverbs 20 verse 7 at the top of that photograph. And as I've thought about that, I have said to myself, as I look back at my father's life and realize that as a man who was faithful to his marriage vows to my mother for over 56 years, he was a man who was respected as an honest businessman in his dealings with so many people uh, week after week, over 50 years of his career. He was a man who was known to be a godly man who taught Sunday school class for probably over 50 years in a little church that he went to. I think back and I say, there's no way to quantitatively measure the greatness of that blessing in my life. A person of integrity is a huge blessing when you are relating to them on a day-to-day basis. Of a person who honors God and whose life is characterized by integrity, there's no way to say how much that is a blessing. And so the writer of Proverbs is going to try to show us here in this text several practical ways of how wisdom and practical godliness applies and touches on all these different areas of life. Now, there's not one area of one's life that's unaffected by having a fear of God. It should touch on every part of our life. And he touches on, first of all, in verse 1, a realm of life which, upon which integrity is built, is to say that we are to live a life of sobriety. If we're going to live a life that's going to bless other people around us and help them in understanding who God is and what the gospel really means, then we need to live a life of sobriety. Verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Getting drunk, getting high on drugs, the scriptures say here, is basically foolish. Why? Why? because you are, you are anesthetizing the part of your brain that controls your thinking, your processes of, of reasoning, and your abilities to maintain control. You end up saying and doing things that ultimately dishonor God, not to mention offend the people around you in your life, and uh, cause all sorts of havoc in relationships. And so consistency of living will never characterize your life if you drink to excess, and if you abuse drugs. I mean, it's a very simple concept that is, to me, quite practical. Another character trait that serves as a foundational stone for a life of integrity, verses 2 and 3, is to avoid violence. To, be, to avoid having a hot-headed attitude when there's difficulties and, try, and, uh, and situations that frustrate you. Verse 2, the terror of a king is like the, the growling of a lion. He who provokes him to anger forfeits his own life. Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. You know, some people are easily angered. They are quick to rush toward violent responses to provocation. It can happen when they're driving a car, road rage. It can happen when they're in the workplace. It can happen at home. It can happen wherever they are. A person of integrity will endeavor to express a sense of submission to God in which they've learned to to yield to God's authority. They've learned to yield to realize that they are not at the center of the universe. Things don't always go their way. And they've learned to develop the inner strength to walk away from quarrels and to not plunge headlong into physical altercations. It's not surprising, is it, then, that Paul, when he's trying to set up the churches there in the New Testament, he says, listen, there's one thing you've got to make sure is a qualification if somebody's going to be a leader in a local church, and that is they cannot be a person who is given to violence. They can't be a a person who's pugnacious, someone who's ready to say, I'm going to haul off and even though we hear um, some of our older gentlemen joking with each other about those things, but we know that's clearly not the way to handle our disagreements as a follower of Christ. Trusting God to mete out his justice in his time helps us to adopt a more long-term perspective on life, to realize the value of learning to control our passions and say, Lord, this is not going the way I would like it to, but I, want, I need to be slow to anger, quick to hear, and slow to speak. Another character trait that contributes to a life of integrity, verse 4, very practical, is to plan ahead and to work hard. Plan ahead and work hard. Verse 4, the sluggard does not plow after the autumn. That means the time of year when it gets a little chilly. It's getting rather cold outside. He'd rather sit home near the fire. So he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Lazy people find excuses for procrastinating when it comes to hard work. Instead of finding a full-time job or finding two part-time jobs, some people would choose to not try to pay their bills they'll just stay at home live with mom and dad till they're in their 30s or whatever and and they sit there and spend far too much time watching netflix playing video games and just being irresponsible and so the scriptures say well listen if you want to be a life of integrity learn to plan plan some goals in front of you and work toward those goals obviously trusting god to open and close doors Paul reminded the church members there in Colossae, he said, listen, whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. That'll give you some motivation. You're not just working for your boss. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Colossians chapter 3. Much more I could say about that, but I'm going to move on. These are all just practical little insights here. Verse 5 gives another character trait of someone who desires to live a life that honors God and gain a heart of wisdom. Look what he says. He says, a plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. Now, when I first read that, I'm thinking, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And so I had to do some digging on this one to try to understand what it means, but here's what I've come up with: a person who desires to gain discernment must learn to humbly draw counsel and insights from other people. In other words, one of the skills that will serve you well and serve me well is to develop the character, of, uh, in, in developing the character of integrity, is to is to do what those in the biblical times did daily, and that is to as they let down a bucket into a well and to draw up that bucket with fresh, clean, pure water. So we are to similarly take not a bucket, real, a real bucket into a well, but we're to also uh, go where wisdom is found and patiently draw up wisdom from the heart of the person that you respect. Take the time to draw wisdom from those who walk with God, who know God, whose life you respect and you look at how they conduct themselves and you say, I want to know more about this person and what they've learned from God and how they've applied it to their life in a way that I look up to this person and respect them a lot. A wealth of insight can be gained by asking good questions and listening attentively to the people who have become skilled in the art of living a godly life. Some people, unfortunately, in today's world, just like in my generation when I was younger, I must confess, They don't have an interest in spending time with elderly people or people who have lived a long time much longer than they have. They view them as old-fashioned, out of touch, behind the times in their perspective. But many godly senior saints have walked with God for years. And their faith has been refined through many times of suffering. And they have gained a heart of wisdom through years and years of studying the Word of God bucketfuls of discernment can be gained if we would just spend time making inquiry of those who can provide wise counsel. And so again, an opportunity lies before us to pursue if we would gain a heart of integrity and wisdom. Another one more important character trait found in verse 6, I'm just moving through these quickly, uh, that would lay the groundwork for a life of integrity is faithfulness and reliability. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? It's probably what some women are saying here who are wishing someday to get married. You know, who can find a trustworthy man? All of us know people, who, of course, who make promises very casually and they promise more than they can really deliver. They don't hesitate to sign up for various tasks and sign up for duties and then they fail to follow through. And so what are we talking about here? Well, letter F in your notes is dependability. Dependability. Are you a promise keeper? Can those around you depend on you that when you say yes, I mean yes, and I'm going to follow through with that yes. If I say no, I mean no, and I'll follow through on that no. Trustworthiness is essential if we're ever to hope to bless the next generation with a life that's characterized by integrity. I find it not surprising that Jesus would spend a great deal of his teaching very precisely zeroing in on the moral trait of hypocrisy. That if someone is saying one thing, but they're really doing another, they're they're not being trustworthy, they're not a person of their word Jesus very clearly criticized that and found great fault with that. And it's no no surprise because what he longs for is people who are people who walk in the light, who are walking in truth, people who are genuine and who are people that can be trusted. So therefore it's not um, I thought it was very helpful to include that quote. I'm not going to read it all to you. There's a quote in your notes, though, from Ted Engstrom about what this world really needs. And that's so true. We need people who are indeed, um, willing to take a stand when everyone else around them is just waiting for whichever direction the wind is blowing, whichever is popular at the time. They don't really have strong convictions and will stick to those, but that's what we're called to be for the glory of God. Now, I'm going to move this in a different direction here as I talk about, because it really sounds like I've just given you a bunch of rules to keep, and that's really not my intention at all. I want us to consider now point number two, the ultimate character traits of one who blesses his adoptive spiritual children. I want to think a little bit about the fact that if we really are honest, none of us will ever rise to the level of being consistent in our daily integrity. You need to hear me say that. You need to hear all of us be able to acknowledge that clearly and openly. Verse 9 says of chapter 20 in Proverbs, Who among us can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from sin? None of us here has our act together. Jesus alone is consistently reliable. It is Jesus alone who is consistently faithful. It is Jesus alone who is consistently trustworthy. As a matter of fact, some of the names given to Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 19, he is called faithful and true. Those are appropriate names for the Son of God. The one who comes to wage war on his enemies. The one who's going to come and rule the world in righteousness. He is faithful and he is true. Jesus never fails to do right. He always follows through with his promises. He is 100% reliable. Day in and day out. In heaven or on earth. Yesterday, today and forever. Jesus Christ is faithful. He is true. Now, I understand when we make this affirmation that you and I have to acknowledge that we struggle, a struggle that Jesus does not deal with, but a struggle that we read about in Romans 7. Perhaps you're familiar with that. Romans 7, Paul talks about the fact, well, there's good that we wish that we would do, There's good things I intend to do. There's good things that I desire to do. But those things, I don't do those. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I do. But Jesus Christ is faithful and true. His life is one endless record of integrity, of consistency. He was without sin. There are numerous passages of Scripture that talk about that. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 John 3, Hebrews chapter 4. He kept the law every day of his life, flawlessly and completely. He never failed to love his Father with all his heart and soul and mind. And never did he yield to Satan's temptations, not once. And when you think about this, It's because Jesus lived a life of integrity, the gospel promises to us endless blessings because he lived a life of integrity. The blessings that he earned become our blessings that we share in. And God the Father punished Jesus Christ for our moral failures. And by faith, we can enjoy the benefits of his moral successes. In Christ, we stand justified, fully approved by God because of Jesus Christ and being joined to Him by faith. And because of the grace we are granted in the gospel, we can honestly, therefore, admit that we have failings. We can admit that we sin. We can admit that we struggle, that we have faults. If we trust in Christ as our sin bearer, we can have full confidence That every sin we confess, every sin that we repent of, can be fully and completely forgiven. And because of the gospel, we do not have to hide our sins from God. God sees and knows us inside out anyway. We can't hide from God. Hebrews chapter 4 has a very powerful verse. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, There is no creature... Hidden from God's sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. What's He saying? He's saying that there's nothing that you can hide. You can hide from things, you can hide the things you do on your computer from other people, but you can't hide from God. He knows everything. You can be flirting with someone at work that you're not married to, but you can't hide that from God. You can be cheating in school on the exams that you take. You can't hide them from God. The point here is that Christianity enables us and motivates us to move toward integrity and authentic living. Because we need not cover up our sin. We need not live a secret life. You don't need to have a double life where you're trying to be somebody that you're not. In the gospel, we are granted the, the joy of being accepted as we are because of Christ. And therefore, we are people who can no longer need to escape when we go through difficult times and we're finding great pressure and we find ourselves in great pain. We don't look to escape through medica, medical uh, um, medicines or other kinds of drugs or other kinds of substances to, to dull us out But we can deal with life because why? Because Christ's love upholds us, sustains us. We don't need to deny our sin. We deceive ourselves if we try to do that. The truth is not in us at that point. But when we admit our sin, we can confess it. We turn from it and the blood of Christ cleanses us. And we have an advocate in Christ in heaven in which he's saying to the Father, listen, I died for this person's sin. You can't charge me for their sin and them. I paid for it. You need to forgive this person. Let them free. And therefore, as he pleads his death on the cross for us in our place, we can therefore be people who are freely enjoying his love. Because of Christ's righteousness, is become our righteousness. We can walk now in his integrity. And it's true. How blessed are his adopted sons and daughters after him who walk in the blessings of his integrity and righteousness and goodness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we bow before you, we just think of that verse that says that uh, no one can hide from you. No one can escape from your personal knowledge about all the details of our life. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us to be humble before you today to acknowledge that we lack integrity. We are a people who do not always follow through. We're not completely trustworthy, Lord. We oftentimes are reacting in ways that are not under control and are not honorable. And Lord, oftentimes we think we know more than other people around us. We thank you, Lord, that uh, there is great blessing for those of us who will humble ourselves and who will come to Christ and find in Christ the joys and the blessings tied up with his righteousness, tied up with his obedience, with his integrity. Help us, Father, to make our boast in Christ. Help us to make our trust in what he has done for us. Help us to be people who can be real, who can not be caught up, Lord, in trying to escape from the reality of who we are and the struggles that we face. Help us to be honest and genuine with each other. And we pray, Father, that you might continue to help those of us who are carrying forward the gospel, that we might live a life of true godly fear, that we might be able to present the gospel by the, by the quality of our life and by the joy of our service to Christ. It might make a difference to those who are coming behind us. Lord, we live in a day and age of great compromise, of all sorts of, of people whose moral strength is very weak. And we pray that you would help us to continue to to raise up the banner of the gospel in such a way that it might draw people to our Savior and that you and your kingdom might expand. For the glory of your great name we make these prayers. Amen.